I was told to minister on a specific subject. I was not, not asked, nor even given discretion. I was informed by our amazing pastor on what I should preach. <laughs> and I've been preaching it over uh, South Campus the last while. And I'm going to preach part one this morning and tonight part two. And obviously the challenge with that is I've got to, because we've two different services, I've got to make two unique sermons, but at the same time they must connect part one and part two. The title, Breaking Satanic Cycles. Breaking Satanic Cycles. The passage this morning is from Judges chapter 6. One of my favorite stories in the Bible. So let's get into it. Let's speed through it. Switch your thinking caps on. I'm mainly going to teach this morning. I know many of you are used to me preaching evangelistically, but this morning I'm going to try and teach. Then the children, verse 1, of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord delivered them into the hand of Midian for seven years. And the hand of Midian prevailed against Israel. The hand of Midian prevailed against Israel. So let me pause there for a moment. So, you know, one thing we have to do here is reason by analogy. We're not just looking at a historical example, but we're going to bring it into the present. So when we read the children of Israel, how do we relate that to this point in time? Well, the Israelites were the people of God. Right now, I'm in front of the church of Jesus Christ, which is the people of God. But the Midianites, an enemy, an opposing force, an oppressive force, was prevailing against the people of God. Because of the Midianites, the children of Israel made for themselves the dens, the caves, and the strongholds which are in the mountains. So it was whenever Israel had sown, Midianites would come up, um, also Amalekites and the people of the east would come up against them. The people of the east for us are not the other side of Australia. Amen. <laughs> then they would encamp against them and destroy the produce of the earth as far as Gaza and leave no sustenance for Israel, neither sheep nor ox nor donkey. For they would come up with their livestock and their tents, coming in as numerous as locusts, both they and their camels were without number, and they would enter the land to destroy it. So Israel, the people of God, were greatly impoverished, destitute, poor, broken. Because of the Midianites, and the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. What we find in this passage, this beginning, this foundation that I'm trying to lay for this morning and tonight, is that the people of God face an oppressive force. Anybody ever gone through some oppressive forces or some resistance in their life? Some things that have come against you? There's a few of you. And what's interesting, what happens to the people of God, when they face this oppression, is they dig dens and caves for themselves and strongholds in the mountains to hide, to get away from what they are facing, the challenges. 
And many times this is what happens to people when they face oppressive forces, when they face an enemy, when they face some challenges, what people tend to do many times is withdraw, hide. Many times they hide in the recesses of their mind. Somebody's standing with you, but you can see the lights are not on because of what they are facing, the challenges. People withdraw. Many times it happens with Christians. They start facing challenges, problems, issues, oppressive forces, and suddenly they're not a church anymore. They are withdrawing, maybe because of guilt or shame that they might be facing, whatever it might be. People withdraw. Suddenly that man, that woman is not the stand-up person they used to be, that confident person they used to be, that could face anyone, lift their head up and speak to them. With confidence, they've withdrawn into, into themselves. They walk with... With a lack of energy, their head is down. There's a withdrawal. Hiding in the dens and the caves, that's what happened to the people of God. How many times this happens to us when we face challenges? How we withdraw into a den of fear, into a cave of mediocrity, into a place where we lose hope. Dark areas in our life. You wake up in one negative thought. One thought of fear takes you to a depressed state. A state of anxiety or fear. A dark hole, some cave somewhere. Not many people, when they get depressed, they live in their rooms. Shut the door, switch the lights off. Climb under the covers. <laughs> Stay there. Switch the Netflix on. Buy pizza. Stay there over the weekend. <laughs> I see some of you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Get that tub of ice cream. <laughs> Don't want to face the challenges, right? <laughs> it happens. It happens. It happens. It happened to the people of God. Because of the Midianites that were prevailing against them. Now, one thing I love, at least what the Israelites do, it says, so they sowed. And really what you need to realize is, <laughs> it doesn't matter what situation you might be facing right now in life. If there's breath in your lungs, you can change it. You can get up, you can do something about it. Right? Right? You can change your thinking. Sometimes all you need is just a different perspective, a positive outlook, a bit of courage on the inside to get up and move. Because the Bible is very clear. Galatians 6 verse 9, God is not mocked as a man sows, that will he reap. If you sow to the flesh, you will reap destruction. If you sow to the Spirit, you're going to reap life. So maybe if you find yourself in a low place, in a den or a cave spiritually, you just you have to sow the right seed. Read the scriptures, pray and fast, worship God, declare the word, and you're going to start to see things shift. Reality. God has given us this principle of seed time and harvest that will not pass away. And by this principle, this law, you can change your life. 
You can change your circumstance. You can get out of that cave and that den and you can become that person God has called you to be. The power of seed time and harvest. I mean, you might be struggling in your marriage. Well, start to sow words of life to your spouse. uh, Start to sow actions of love and you are going to reap a harvest. Many times you find yourself in a low place. It's because of the seed that you have sown in the past. So I love this about Israel, that although they're in a place, a low place, they still sow because the, this, uh, the law of seed time and harvest is still operational. People wonder, how do we get the, the government that we have? Well, people sowed votes and you reap a politician. Sometimes people look at great businessmen, very wealthy. How did they get there? Well, they sowed something. They sowed something to reap a harvest. I was just looking the other day at some of the great investments that were available the last few years. There was this one investment where a company, they put in a million dollars and within a few months, they reaped $170 million dollars. Meaning if you sowed one dollar, you would reap 170. The law of seed time and harvest. That's as simple as it is. If you keep on sowing negative thoughts, sowing negative words, sowing negative actions, you are going to reap a harvest of negativity. Uh, We don't like to face this responsibility that we have. The word says this will not pass away as heaven and earth remains. So the good news this morning is you can change your circumstances. Even if you're in a bad place, you can reverse the negative harvest. Amen? Are we on the same page? I'm trying to move through very quickly to get where I want to be this morning. So Israel's in a very bad place, but yet they still observe the law of seed time and harvest. Because really what would happen if they could sow and get a harvest, if they were in a bad place, they could make deals with other nations and through exports, they could bring in finance, they could rebuild, they could do whatever, they could expand as a nation. They could feed their people. But what we are dealing with this morning is not just your run-of-the-mill low place. Just your average you know, setback that through sowing the right seed, you can get out of that negative place. What we are dealing with this morning is satanic cycles. Now, if you read the scripture, this is what it says. So it was whenever Israel had sown, Midianites would come up, also Amalekites, the people of the east, encamp against them and destroy the produce of the earth and leave no sustenance for Israel, neither sheep, nor ox, nor donkey. They would come up, swarm the place, destroy everything till Israel entered a place of impoverishment. What we find that Israel is facing is a cycle of destitution that they could not even get out of their low place through seed time and harvest, through 
doing the right things. Through sowing the right seed. They were in a systemic place of oppression. A place that they ultimately could not get out of. It was a pattern of devastation. That the very thing that they could use to get themselves out of this place was removed from them. Because every time they sowed, when the harvest was coming, that harvest that could turn their situation around, that could turn the nation around, was taken from them. Year after year, they are in a cycle, a satanic cycle. I mean, it even says seven years this was happening. Seven points to cycles. Seven years of seven it leads to the jubilee where a new cycle would begin. The very thing that could take them out of a negative place was crippled because the enemy would come to destroy, not even to steal and then sell the produce, but to destroy what they had so that year after year they would go deeper and deeper and deeper into a place of impoverishment. Have you ever been in that place in your life? It's like you do what you can. You were at a low place. I don't know what it might be in business, in a relationship, spiritually. You're in a low place and you get the courage and you start to do all the right things. You start to speak the word of God, pray. You start to work hard on that business again. And it's like certain things begin to align strategically at the point where the breakthrough is coming to destroy the answer. It's sometimes it's like a cycle that we get caught into. And it's not even a cycle because you're doing the wrong things. You are sowing. You are doing everything that you can do. You are giving your tithe and offering. You are praying. You are working hard. But you get to that point every time that just as you think it's about to turn around, Bam, something happens, and it takes you straight back down again. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Anybody experienced what I'm talking about? I mean, you can imagine, imagine the situation the Israelites were in. Just after being defeated by an enemy, everything wiped out. They finally gather the courage. They say, okay, man, <laughs> everything's gone, but we've got some seed left. We, we can do something. They start to plow the fields again. They start to sow the seed. They do what they can do. And as time goes on, there's an ex expectation. Things are going to turn around. Things are going to turn around this time. Things are going to turn around. They start lining up deals with other nations where they can export. Maybe they even start thinking about how we're going to use this harvest to buy a mercenary army to come help us defeat the enemy. And there's this expectation that grows on the inside of them. Finally, man, things have been bad in the past, but we're about to get out of it now. We're about to get out of it now. Things are going to turn around for us finally. And just at that point, where the harvest has come, the point of heightened expectation, of hope, where it's about to happen, 
right at the edge, suddenly an army of tens and tens and tens and tens of thousands swarm in and wipe out everything that they've been working for. See, the Bible says hope deferred makes the heart grow sick. When somebody gets trapped into a satanic cycle, they start to lose hope. And then you think, why should I even sow again? Why should I even try again? Let me just go live in the cave. <laughs> this is what a satanic cycle is. Systemic oppression, where you are locked down. Maybe you find areas in your life where there's been patterns of brokenness. Patterns of brokenness. And no matter what you try, something aligns outside of your control to cripple you. Or a people. Sometimes we see it even as a people. People coming to get saved. The harvest is coming in. Bam, something happens to steal people. This is not only for you as a person, but it might be a people or a family. A family that's been caught in poverty. Do everything they can. And something aligns to cripple them. To bring them down again. So do we understand where we are right now? I didn't just come here to make you feel depressed. <laughs> feel sad about them. But I'm trying to paint a picture of how deep in trouble they were. And I can't even do it justice because of the years that they were under this. Every harvest time, at the point of heightened expectation where they think everything's going to turn around, there the enemy comes, wipes out the harvest, kills people, kills every asset they have, destroys it, leaves them destitute and impoverished. Verse 7. And it came to pass when the children of Israel cried out to the Lord because of the Midianites that the Lord sent a prophet to the children of Israel. Amen. Thank God for his prophets. Believe his prophets and you will prosper. Amen. Who said to them, Thus says the Lord of God of Israel, I brought you up from Egypt and brought you out of the house of bondage, of slavery, and I delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians, out of the hand of all who oppressed you, and drove them out before you, and gave you their land. Hallelujah. I mean, this is exactly what our pastor does every, every single Sunday. You come in here, you might be facing some challenges. And just like this, he reminds you, hey, what God has done for you. What Jesus did do at the cross when he died. Amen. God sends a prophet to speak to them and remind them, hey, you might be feeling some challenges right now. You might be caught in a cycle of oppression. Hey, but I've delivered you from much bigger. And I gave you this land. I know you're hiding in the dens and the caves, but this land is yours. This is what we do every Sunday. When we meet at home cells, we share testimonies. Reminding each other what God has done and what He can do. So there's good news this morning. It doesn't matter how low you might have sunk, how long you might have been in your situation. I'm here to tell you, God is going to have the final say. God's going to break you out. That addiction that might have held you for years, Jesus is the deliverer. That sickness, amen, that might have been uh, holding your body for years like a cycle, Jesus is the healer. That family that might have been broken for years. Jesus is the restorer of families. Hallelujah. I'm here to remind you this morning. Good news. The gospel is good news. 
So spoiler alert. What happens in the story, the good news is, despite the cycle of oppression, that there was almost nothing they could do to get out, no matter what they tried, God intervenes. He raises up a man by the name of Gideon. Gideon takes 300 men, if you've never heard the story, because, you know, sometimes I just assume people know these stories. God chooses a man named Gideon, gets him 300 men, and with 300 men, they destroy an army of over 100,000 people, wipe them out, and Israel is restored to the people God called them to be, to a place of prosperity, amen, to a land flourishing. They become who they're called to be. God breaks them out of this cycle, the satanic cycle. Spoiler alert. Now the reason I'm preaching this morning is not just to tell you what happened. The issue is how do we get out of a cycle? How do we get out of a place like that? How do you as a family break out of something that you've been facing? How do we as a people... Australians, the church that is in Australia, break out of an oppressive system that might be keeping the people of God down, keeping them in a place of mediocrity, break you out of that place. I don't know what you might have been facing, whether it's sin, whether it's finance, whether it's sickness. So let's have a look. Verse 10. Also, I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but you have not obeyed my voice. My brother and sister, the first thing that you need to deal with, that I need to deal with, is fear. When you fail for so long, when you fall time after time, fear enslaves you. It grips you. Have you ever been at that point where things are going right in your life? Everything's looking up, looking good. And you start to think to yourself, I wonder when everything's going to go bad again. And you start fearing. <laughs> it's, everything's too good right now. Something bad must, must happen, obviously, because my life can't be blessed. It can't be good. I can't be happy. I can't be at peace. Fear. 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 You know God has called you to be a businessman, but you've been bankrupt time and time again. So you fear ever stepping out again because of the fear of failure. Fear relationally, whatever it might be. Fear. In fact, the first thing God gets Gideon to do is to go out and tear down an altar of Baal. Tear down an idol of a false god. You think that sounds like nothing. It was something that if he did, he could be killed for. In fact, when he did it, all the men gathered to kill him. I mean, we won't even write something that is contentious on Facebook because we fear what people might say. Now you want to imagine what he had to go through to pull down a false god that people were worshiping, an idol. It's the first thing God gets him to do 
is tear down the fear of any God, any force, oppressive force that he might have been facing that's kept him in that place and the people in that place to deal with it. Fear is one of the first things that you need to deal with and face. Fear. The Bible's very clear in the book of Hebrews, chapter 2, I believe. That Jesus became a man because only as a man could he die. And only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power of death. And only in this way could he liberate those who had lived their lives as slaves to the fear of death. You see, death has been dealt with as Christians, as the people of God. Death has no hold over you, whether it's death in reputation, death in finance, death in relations. You have eternal life. What you need to deal with is the fear of death. Because fear enslaves. And they were slaves to a cycle of oppression. Fear. I realized as I was thinking this morning, you know, having one of those shower revelations. That true fear of death means you are actually willing to die. Well, the true freedom from the fear of death means you are willing to die because you know at the end of that is resurrection. You are, will, you are okay with dying. You have such a freedom from that fear that you are willing to die because there's a resurrection. Imagine having such freedom from the fear of failing that you're like, it's okay if I fail because after that there's going to be a resurrection. How do we break satanic cycles? The first thing that needs to break, the chain that needs to leave you is that fear that enslaves you. I don't need to be a prophet to know that there are people crippled by fear right now. Crippled by anxiety. God wants to liberate you, set you free. It's one of the first things that must happen so that you can step out of the cycle of oppression and mediocrity and failure that you've been in. God wants to liberate you, my brother and sister. Now the angel of the Lord, hallelujah. The angel of the Lord came. Verse 11. Sat under the terebinth tree, which was in opera, which belonged to Joash. So right now God is intervening to liberate and break people out of this cycle, out of this place, out of this low place. Watch what God begins to do. It's one of the most profound things you can ever imagine. It's one of my favorite passages in the Bible. The depth of this, the complexity at hand, how God works is astonishing. So the angel comes to this place, which belonged to Joash the Bizrite, while his son, Gideon, that's the man, the man of faith, in Hebrews, he's one of the men of faith, the generals of faith that subdues kingdoms. He comes to Gideon. Gideon is the man he's going to use to break the oppression that's been holding Israel down for years. Gideon threshed wheat in the wine press in order to hide it 
from the Midianites. So God comes to this man, and where is he? He's in a hiding place. He's in a hiding place. He is threshing wheat in a wine press. Now, last I remember, that's not where you thresh wheat. This is the man, the man of faith. The man God's going to use to do something so tremendous, take 300 people and destroy an army of over 100,000 people. This is the guy. Hiding. Now, you know, when many people talk about this passage, what they say, and yes, Gideon was obviously afraid. He was hiding. I mean, it stands to reason. What they say about Gideon, most people will speak about and say, look, this is Gideon. He's a coward. Look at this guy. He's full of fear. And we just spoke about fear. Yeah, he was, he was full of fear. But you know, what Gideon was doing was probably the most rational thing somebody could do. I mean, what else must he do? They've been under oppression for years and years and years. Must he go thresh the wheat out in the open? It's like, imagine somebody gives you $10,000. Go count that in the open in like a dangerous city. I mean, everybody will think you're crazy. You know, there's some towns where I come from in Africa. You just pull your car in there. You go into the shop. You come out and your wheels are gone. Legitimately, your car's on bricks. <laughs> so Gideon, although he's in a place of fear and it's, he's in a position he shouldn't be, it's actually the most rational thing he could be doing is hiding. I mean, the people of Israel were hiding in, in the, the dens and caves. I'm sure he didn't want to go take the wheat all the way to a cave in the mountain. You see, that's what happens <laughs> when you're under oppression for so long. You end up in places you shouldn't be. You start to think in ways you shouldn't think. You start to live in ways that God has not called you to live. God never called the Israelites to live in such a state of fear where they were in dens and caves and Gideon's threshing wheat in a wine press. That's what happens when you've been living in a place of failure and defeat for so long. It's rational to do what you're doing and to live the way you're living that you're so scared of opening up because people have betrayed you over and over and over in the past that you just shut down. Yeah, it might be rational, but it's not the way God has called you to live. You see, the Bible says, Ecclesiastes 7 verse 7, oppression robs the wise man of his reason. If you're oppressed for long enough, people go mad. Lose themselves. So this guy, how does God deal with this? The angel of the Lord appeared to him, this man who's hiding in fear, and said to him, the Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. A complete contradiction 
to his current circumstance, to the way he's living. God comes and speaks a word. The angel of, of the Lord says, God is with you, mighty man of valor, mighty man of courage. The one who's hiding right now, you're a man of courage. You are mighty. God's with you. It's one of the most powerful statements in the Bible. One of the most powerful things that God ever says to somebody. God is with you, you mighty man of valor. I love it. I mean, I could read this passage all day. Now, obviously, once God comes and says that, I mean, it's the same when Pastor Clive comes and preaches, man, you can do it. You can get up out of that situation you are in. You can break free from that addiction, from that poverty. When he comes and preaches the word, that we can rise as the people of God, that we can make a difference in the city. All of us jump up collectively and run to go do it, right? We know it's the truth, but it must have must be the same with Gideon, right, DJ? That as soon as the angel of the Lord said this to him, he must have jumped out of the wine press, ran with a sword to go kill the Midianites. <laughs> Is this hitting too deep that you know the Word of God comes to you time after time and tells you what you can do, what you're capable of, yet you look at it with that expression of disbelief? So how does Gideon actually respond? <laughs> Gideon said, oh my Lord, if, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are the miracles? If God is with us, why has this happened? Huh? Angel, look. Must I pull out a history book of the last seven years, angel? Why has this happened? Where are the miracles, by the way? Did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now, but now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hand of the Midianites. You see, like I, every time I preach now, I realize I'm not trying to impress anybody. I'm not trying to give you a good feeling. I don't care if you walk out here and think that was rubbish. Because the angel of the Lord stood before Gideon, said that to him, and all Gideon did was, hey, where's the miracles, man? I mean, I'm not even the angel of the Lord. <laughs> if you're falling asleep right now, it's okay. Paul preached a sermon and someone fell asleep and then he died. He fell off uh, the ledge. Then he was resurrected. Amen. <laughs> You'll be resurrected in time. Don't worry, brother or sister who's sleeping. <laughs> We're not here to entertain you. Couldn't care less. That doesn't change anything. And really, this morning, I'm after somebody who might be in the same place as Gideon, who's in a cycle that needs to break out. Maybe you've never been in a place like that. Well, I pray you never get into a place like that. But you help others who are in a place like that. Now, we might look at what Gideon is saying and think, brother, are you out of your mind? An angel has just said this to you. How can you respond like that? But the fact is, we do it all the time. Okay, I, 
I'm reading all these promises and all the amazing things and I'm hearing what Pastor Clive and Sharon's preaching every Sunday. But internally, there's a voice that says, okay, but, 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 but if God's been with me, how could all these things have happened? How Gideon responds is probably, once again, the most rational response he can give. It is extremely logical to ask the question, if God is with us, how on earth for seven years have we been obliterated as a people? Every asset, every and their assets were sheep and cows, you know. <laughs> every harvest gone. Young men dying from woe. Year in, year out, every harvest time. The most rational response, that's what it gives. And we are in the same place many times. When we are caught in a cycle of failure over and over again, you get to a place where you start to ask, God, are you actually with me? Are you actually with me, God? Have you left me, God? Have you forsaken me, God? I mean, am I the only one who's maybe asked that? Gideon asked that. And maybe you so spiritual, you've never asked that. But Gideon, the man of faith, who did one of the greatest acts of war ever, he asked that. A very logical question. Where are the miracles? Where are the miracles, God? God, where's my healing? I've been facing this sickness for years. Where's the healing? If you are the healer, if you are with me, why am I not healed? I've heard about what you've done in the past, but in fact, right now, I'm in a place of sickness. Right now, God, I'm in a place of depression. God, I hear that you're the deliverer, but right now, I have an addiction, a sin that I just can't seem to break. God, have you left me and forsaken me? God, I've been doing everything. I've been giving my tithes and offerings. God, I've been working hard, but I just can't break free from this debt. The most rational response he can give. But once again, oppression destroys, Ecclesiastes 7.7, the reason of a wise man. You see, that's the problem. When you're in a state like that of relying on your logic, The Lord has forsaken us. The Lord has forsaken us. Where's the miracles? How could this happen? Anybody maybe in this place like that right now? Don't raise your hand. Maybe you're in this place like that. If you're on top of the mountain, amen. God bless you, brother. Run for God. But maybe you're in this place this morning and you're sitting there asking, God, have you forsaken me? You're the person I'm preaching to this morning. You know, it's one thing if a challenge comes for a month and it's done. It's another thing when it's been years. You're crippled for years. Oppressed for years. Till you finally get to a breaking point where you say, God, have you forsaken me? And honestly, God, you must have forsaken me because if you were with me, all of this couldn't happen. Now verse 14, <laughs> I love this because <laughs> after Gideon gives this, I mean, 
he questions the angel. <laughs> and he asks very legitimate questions. Sometimes don't you wish you could ask God the same thing? God, why has this happened? Why has this happened? Sometimes I feel like if God showed up to me, that I'd ask him, God, why did that happen? Why did that happen? Why did that happen? I love this verse 14. Then the, the Lord turned to him and said, you know, while Gideon was complaining, the Lord was not even looking at him. And once he was done complaining, the Lord turns to him. My brother and sister, God's not going to give you a fetus on why you've been facing what you've been facing many times. What did Gideon expect? That the angel, the Lord, was going to sit down and give him a great long speech and explain what's been happening? God doesn't operate like that. The Lord ignores it and then turns to him and says, go in this might of yours. You will save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? I mean, surely now Gideon must jump up and run and go do great things. But once again, he responds. Oh my Lord, how can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. Then the Lord said to him, Surely I will be with you, and you will defeat the Midianites as one man. You see, what happens to Gideon is what happens to us. After he explains what's been happening externally, all the problems, the situation, the challenges, the oppression that's been facing him, the next thing he points at, he says, Look, Lord, my father's house is the least, and I'm the weakest in my father's house. He looks to himself totally as a broken man, that he cannot do this, that he's the weakest. Not only is he weak in the nation, but he's the, the weakest of the weakest. Now, I don't know if he was over-exaggerating or what, but maybe he was. You see, what oppression ultimately does is that it destroys your identity. When you've been failing for so long and you've faced challenges for so long, you ultimately look at yourself as nothing. You know, when I did poverty studies in my, the previous degree I did, one of the first things you learn, the scholars that research it and do all they can to help people in poverty, they say the ultimate thing poverty does is it destroys your identity. And some people have faced issues for so long that when they look at themselves, they see nothing. They see the least. They see the weakest. They see somebody that can't break out. They see somebody that's full of sin, shame. Someone that doesn't have the education, doesn't have the experience, doesn't have the ability. It's the same thing that Moses, with Moses, who said, how can I speak? You see, he believed God forsook the people. God rejected the people. And when you believe God has rejected you, ultimately what happens is you reject yourself. Because if God has rejected you, it doesn't matter who accepts you. And many people might be here at this place. You feel God has rejected you. God has forsaken you. And what you've started to do is you've rejected yourself. 
You believe that you can't do it. You can't break out. You are locked in this place and there is nothing that you can do. When external oppression continues for so long, it ultimately destroys the very essence of who you are and you lose who you are. And that's why it's almost every Sunday you'll hear a pastor remind you of who you are in Christ, who you are in God. Why do you think he will preach that so often and say, God is with you and you can do great things in God. You are chosen of God. You are loved by God. You're a child of God. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you because ultimately what most people are facing, 99% of the time is a broken identity that they truly believe that they can't do it. Breaking out of a satanic cycle, this is the first thing that needs to change. You need to restore your identity in Christ again. Who you are, who God has called you to be, the bank can come up. What God has called you to do. You see, that's why when Gideon speaks to God, speaks to the Lord, he starts off speaking about what's happening on the outside, the external circumstances, what's against him, how bad the situation is out there, and how the Lord must have forsaken them. And then he gets to the point of talking about his identity, who he is. He's the least and the weakest. That's what happens. But you see, when the Lord comes, the first thing the Lord focuses on is his identity. The first thing the angel says is, the Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. And then the Lord goes on to say, now that you know you're a mighty man of valor, a mighty man of valor, of courage, you are going to defeat Israel as one man. The situation is going to change. The external circumstance is going to change. Everything around you is going to change. You see, when God comes to do a work and break you out of a satanic cycle, He first comes to deal with who you are as a person, your identity in Christ. Because when He touches your heart, when He touches your mind, you as a changed, transformed individual are going to change your external circumstances through the power of God. Your external circumstances might have broken who you are on the inside, the challenges you might have faced, the relational failures, the divorce, the bankruptcy, the addiction might have ripped your identity out of you. And you might believe you know what, but God comes to restore that and say, hey, you're a child of God. You're a mighty man. You're a mighty woman of valor. You are called. You are chosen, anointed. You can get up, man. You are a new creature, a new creation. If any person is in Christ, they made new. Part two tonight, I'm going to deal with the other stuff. But the foundation of breaking out of the place that you're in is to recognize who you are in God, who you are in Christ, and that God is with you. God starts, He comes to him, tells him who he is and what he will do, how the circumstance will change. And every time he's saying that, God's saying, the Lord is with you. The Lord is with you. I have sent you. I will be with you. You need to believe that no matter how bad your circumstance is right now, no matter how deep in sin you might be right now, how broke you might be, how sick you might be, God has not left you. God has not forsaken you. He has not turned his back on you. He is with you. He has sent you. He has called you. He does love you. And you are a child of God. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. How many people have lost their hope of a better future? 
They believe God has rejected them and so they reject themselves. Maybe you're in that place, you just feel I'm worthless. And God has forsaken me. And everything in the natural says, if God was with you, this wouldn't have happened. And because all of this happened, the conclusion is God is not with me. Have you ever been there? Maybe you are there this morning. I'm here to remind you, man, God is with you. The Lord is with you. And it's the first place He needs to get us as a people too. That it doesn't matter how the situation looks, what it might be like in the natural, God is still with you. He is with you. Even though you've been facing that situation, that oppression for years and years, God is with you. He is with you. The Lord is with you. Jesus said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. If only we could truly believe that God is with us, how things would change. As I was praying yesterday, I really felt it on my heart strongly that there are people that believe God has forsaken them. The Lord has left them. Because you're asking yourself day in and day out, maybe the only possible conclusion to all of this happening happening in my life is because God's not in my life. God's not with me. God has left me. God has forsaken me. He's turned his back on me. Maybe even at a place right now you feel like God has betrayed you. The Lord wants you to know He's with you. Jesus said he will never leave you nor forsake you. And all the circumstances, the situations that you've been facing, the failures that you've gone through, it doesn't define you. The fact that Gideon was hiding and he was the least and weakest in his father's house in a nation who was oppressed never defined him. Despite all of that, the Lord came and said, mighty man of valor. That is the place of faith that God needs to get us to. That is the place of strength and faith God needs to get us to. Just like Abraham, who had been barren and without children for years and years and years in his 90s. And the Lord calls him the father of many nations. It's easy to say that person's a great person when they're at the top of the mountain. But God comes when you're at the lowest when you're at the weakest, when naturally it's an impossibility. It's illogical. But God comes through his word this morning to remind you he's with you, my brother, my sister. Don't give up. Don't give up. You're going to break out of that cycle. You're going to break out of that place. Healing is coming. That you're not defined by your circumstances. You're not defined by the failures. You're not defined by the words people have spoken to you. You're defined by God's word. That people might have said you're the weakest. Maybe people told Gideon he's the least and the weakest. Maybe people might have told you, you can't do it. You this, you that, a failure. You believed it. The word of God says something different about you. God says something different. He sees something different. He has sent you. He has called you. And he's with you. To break out of the place you are in right now, 
you must get to this place of faith. Because if you have given up on the inside and you have quit, who, who can help you? You see, Gideon was in that place. So God had to speak over and over and over and over to him until he got it. Until he clicked and realized, whoa, I actually am a money man of Ella. And he became one of the most ruthless, crazy men of war in the Bible. And he gathered 300 men, had enough courage to take on an army of over 100,000, 150,000 people and annihilate them. He becomes from this man that says, where are the miracles? God has left us to becoming a man of such determination, of courage, of power, that he absolutely annihilates the enemy with one blow. And that's what God does. He can come to you right now. And that's what I'm asking God to do, to come to somebody right now and let them know that hey, He's with you. He's never left you. He's never forsaken you. The circumstances you are in, it's going to change. Amen. It's going to break. The cycle, the oppression is going to fall. The fear, the anxiety, whatever it might be, God can turn it around. But He's, he's reminding you this morning, He's with you. 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 You haven't failed so much that God's left you. You haven't sinned enough that God would leave you. Because the Bible says where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. And in your weakness, His power is made perfect. God hasn't left you, my brother and sister. You haven't done something so wrong that God has turned His back on you. The love of God, the grace of God, the mercy of God is more powerful than any effect of sin. The power of the devil has been destroyed. Let go of the fear. Believe who God has called you to be. Believe what God has told you in the past. What you will do, your purpose, your destiny. Believe that He's with you. Go into that business again. Face that giant again. Face that challenge again. Knowing that God is with you. And even if you fall, death is not final. If you fall, there shall be a resurrection with no fear.